0: with my feathered wing.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Camino Cafe podcast. I am Lee Brennan, your host, and I'm so glad that you are here joining us today for this new episode. So for today's interview, I was so, so excited that Bibi Barami decided to come back to the Camino Cafe podcast and talk to us about her new book. It's called The Way of the Wild Goose. And let me tell you, I enjoyed this book so much. This book inspired me to want to get back out on the Camino Frances but to walk it as slowly as I can because I want to see all the things that Bibi's all the time talking about. Bibi is such an inspiration to me as she is to many of you out there. She's a cultural anthropologist. She's a writer. She's written several books. Her guidebook is amazing for the Camino and this new book. It's so great. I just can't wait for you to hear this interview and I hope if you enjoy it, you will make some comments, give us a thumbs up and give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. So thanks for being here. I hope to see you in Santiago soon. I am thrilled, BB, to have you back here at the Camino Cafe. It's been, I think, a couple of years, and I think back then we were just doing the happy hours. And so I'm mm-hmm. thrilled to have you here so we can talk in depth about all the Camino stuff and uh, so thank you for being here.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and to get to talk with you again.
1: Well, you are headed to Spain soon, and you'll be doing a retreat uh, at Flores del Camino, which is just right outside Astorga, and that's coming up very soon in June, and I think there's still a chance people could jump in, uh, maybe, just maybe one more person or so, so um, just kind of wanted to uh, give you an opportunity to describe what you're going to be doing there and and talk a little bit about the retreat.
0: Thank you. I'm really excited about what we're doing. It's it's a co-taught retreat called Journeys at the Threshold. June 5th to 12th and it's a retreat we hope to offer every year Um, and it is about you know I'll be offering the creative writing element and Basha and Bertrand will be bringing in the sacred art and geometry element and we will be really it's really about there at the threshold in the mountain of the right before the mountains of Leon uh, as you just finished the meseta and you're about to enter the mountains again that's the threshold, but the retreat center is also picked for being at that powerful threshold on the Camino. And to explore the stories that you have within you and the stories that you might be hearing from the Camino as you, you, you sit and write, uh, as well as the sacred geometry that Basha and Bertrand and sacred art that they'll be teaching is a huge piece of that, but it's really a journey. It's a pilgrimage in its own right in that week. And it's really for anyone who wants to explore their own creativity and the stories within them in word and in image. And we won't just be there in Castrillo de los Polvazares, the village just outside of Astorga, just west of Astorga. We'll also be visiting uh, other sacred sites around, like petroglyphs, the ancient petroglyphs, and some uh, ancient churches. So um, I think it's going to be a pretty phenomenal week. And we have Uh, some lovely participants already signed up. And we do have a couple spots left. So if anyone's called to join us, Castrillo de los Poldazares, Flores del Camino, uh, check out the retreats. And there are many other retreats.
1: Basha and Bertrand are amazing. Yeah, that's all I hear are great things about them. And I was actually speaking to someone that's gonna be participating in the retreat and they're super excited about it. And I'm quite envious. I would love to be there. That sounds amazing. So I just finished reading your newest book, and thank you for uh, forwarding me a copy so that I could read it. Um, and, Bibi, I just couldn't put it down. You know, partway through, I messaged you and said, "I this book is making me want to go out and immediately walk." And <laughs> I just recently went to many of the places that you talk about, and then there were some that I didn't even know about or missed, and so. I just can't say enough about this book. I mean, Thank you. I already the Moon Guide that you wrote uh, <laughs> is my favorite guidebook. Is I, I tried to get my backpack down as light as I could this last time, and I literally <laughs> had to <something> be <laughs> on the path and bring this to me. Um, so that's <laughs> great. Yeah, now I'm gonna have to take this one too, but you know, I'll have that one on Kindle, so that'll work out. So both available on Kindle. About- yeah, so The Way of the Wild Goose, three pilgrimages following geese, stars and hunches on the Camino de Santiago in France and Spain. <sighs> A yeah. great book. It's your seventh. <laughs> what did it you what did it feel like for you to put this particular book out into the world?
0: Oh my god, huge because it's really complicated material. Um, as you mentioned you don't pick this stuff up on just one pilgrimage, it's like you have to keep going back again and again, and I did, and then I really dedicated three pilgrimages to what is going on with this thing that keeps coming up, the goose, the goose, the goose, you're like, what does the goose have to do with the Camino de Santiago, and, and it was really the pandemic, courtesy of the pandemic, that gave me, it, it canceled everything, you know, and I suddenly wasn't able to you know, go in and do the research and writing that I normally do in Spain and France. And it canceled all other writing projects that were happening because I'm a travel writer. So I hear I was at home and I had a year and a half to just sort of take up all these notebooks that I had been just jotting this stuff down, you know, from looking at archaeological reports to visiting all these sites on the Camino and talking to pilgrims, talking to locals about this goose thing that kept <laughs> coming up and And then, diving into European folklore, and there are a lot of goose stories as we i mean just think of Mother goose, Mother Goose is actually related to this particular goose on the Camino as well, and she's a a, a survivor in a sense in, in many she really is a survivor of the earlier goose goddesses that existed in Native European lore and belief and practice and so I was just taking all of this just going oh my god this is so much complicated material and is anyone even going to believe me when I start saying there's this goose on the Camino and she's a guiding guardian and she's the old European goddess it's like I don't know but I have to piece it together and as I did it just started falling into place and it felt as if it was you know the goose herself was saying you need to write this this is really important that you get this down and you get this all in one place and and show the the, the the continuity of this lore and this experience. So when it came together, I just felt like I had, I really felt like um, I had accomplished something that was almost impossible, but the pandemic gave me the time and space to really focus on it. And then I felt like it was such a grace and blessing that I got to do it. Uh, it really, I was so grateful I got to do it because I was almost afraid like, oh, you know, what if I don't have a chance to do this or I don't do it right? And I, but it just fell into place. I really felt like when you're on the Camino, you're guided. Mm. And and the pieces just kept falling into place um, in part because I finally had the time to really look at everything wow, and work with it.
1: Well, you talk so much in this book about, um, I, I thought it was very vulnerable of you to be talking about your kind of some of those earlier insecurities about becoming a full-time writer. And it was such a joy to be reading these pages, (laughs) knowing, well, this is her seventh book. You know, so she did it. I'm glad to hear that. It was a joy uh, to read. (laughs) A a catharsis for you to be writing this uh, when you were kind of struggling with this during those pilgrimages, you know, thinking about becoming a full-time writer and, you know, those feelings of imposter syndrome that sneak in and all that kind of stuff. yeah. Well, you know, that was very the reason that's
0: such a part of this story is because it was in puzzling through this whole goose mystery that I also, you know, really to back up for a second, I really first started taking it seriously when I kept meeting pilgrims, especially from Spain and France, who were on the Camino and saying that they were walking this initiatory esoteric spiritual journey. And that one of the things they needed to do was look for the signs. And I was like, what do you mean by the signs? And they're like, well, one of the big signs is the goose footprint, you know, that three pronged <laughs> goose right. footprint that we all see, you know, when we watch birds walk around in the sand or on the dirt. And, and, I, and I first thought, what, you know, <laughs> what are they talking about? But then the more I started realizing they really are talking about something and it's not just this uh, made up modern journey. It actually has something to do with older vestiges and roots of European spiritual lore. And folklore, um, that i I started looking at it from a surface intellectual level, just to see what it was about. But the more and more I looked at it, the more it started pulling me in. and and I realized I was becoming one of those spiritual initiates, you know who is walking this path, looking for signs dealing with the ordeals that come up because initiation really is about meeting challenges and hopefully you're successful. So you keep moving forward. And, and then that's when I realized, Oh, it's pulling up my own issues. And so I'm on this, not just outer journey anymore, but an inner journey. And the road is making the two of them meet, you know, that goose footprint on the road was making them meet. So uh, that's, that's why that, that was, you know, that was an organic, part of this story and how I started understanding, oh, this is a real, real process, and it will uh, ignite this p- path in all of us if we just start saying, I think I'm going to start walking and look for the signs and see what comes up, what they mean, and how I respond to
1: them. Mm. Let's take a look at the cover because I think the cover is beautiful, Bibi, and I just wonder if you could talk about the design process of that, how you came up with
0: this. Thank you. I love this. It was so fun to work with my publisher, Monkfish Book Publishing, who picked up the book because um, at the very top of the arch, if you look, you'll see that's a photo I took in a little church in southwestern France called uh, the Church of Morglas. It's the... Ah the Church of saint Foy in Morlas, M-O-R-L-A-A-S, on the Arles route, um, the route that goes uh, through Toulouse and then towards the Pyrenees. And if you look really, really closely, you'll see there are ducks
1: on yes. the <laughs> inner
0: arch. <laughs> yes. Well, and that, that was the moment that this whole journey pivoted. The, the first pilgrimage in the book is the pilgrimage I took on the Arl route. And Mm -hmm. when I got to, and I was looking for goose signs and that part of Southwestern France is like core goose and duck country. And for people, when they read the book, they'll see why ducks and geese are held together. They are both the symbol of of this quest and and the signs of their footprints. And this arch has 26 ducks in it. So, um, and anyone, any listeners who know about the game of the goose, there are 13 geese. And there, so you have 13 going up one way and 13 ducks going up the other in the very, very middle, uh, right there, they're kissing. So oh. the group of 13, the leaders at each end, are, they come and they kiss with their beaks. So there's a lot of speculation. What does that mean? You know, And medieval historians and abbey priests, you know, they, they've all been pondering, what did, what did, what, why did the stonemasons in the 12th century engrave 26 ducks, 13 pairs, two pairs of 13. And there's all these series. One is that they're pilgrims, a jolly group of pilgrims. You one, may be one going to Santiago, one coming back, maybe them traveling together and, you know, doing what sometimes pilgrims do, you know, <laughs> being very pilgrimy in in all the ways. And yes. But others were saying that, that it's actually a reminder that, that we are on a spiritual journey and we're this migratory creature stepping into the unknown, trusting that, as I love, uh, Aldo Leopold wrote in uh, Sand Country Almanac that if you, if, spring is really truly announced by the flight of geese, because mm-hmm. unlike any other bird, they commit to it, you know, they start migrating, and if they got it wrong, they're too bad, they're stuck in the cold, you know, whereas a red cardinal can start singing at spring, and then suddenly say, oh, it's so cold, and they go back into retreat, whereas geese, they're already 200 miles away from home, they're committed, mm-hmm. so they're like, Pilgrims, we've stepped into yes. the unknown, and we're taking this chance, and we're not going back, you know, until we get to our Santiago. So, uh, I forgot the question though. Now I've been going. <laughs> oh, we were
1: just talking about the cover and the design. And okay. Of course, yeah. you got the game of the goose on there, so we'll talk a lot more about that. But right. Game the itself yeah. is so beautiful.
0: So, so quickly then, it was the the art designer at, at Monkfish. Uh, Book publishing who said, you know, he really liked that arch and that was essential part of the design. But then they started thinking about their team. Let's find a game of the goose to fit inside the arch. And they looked and looked and there are all kinds of game of the goose designs. But this one is a very modern rendering um, by, by a modern artist who um, it just nailed it. That sense of it's an old game, but it has this modern twist that we pilgrims are still on this spiral path, this spiritual journey, uh, and that is a metaphor uh, for life. And and the game itself is a metaphor for the Camino, which is a metaphor for life. So that's the way it all came together, but they, they, I just love the way the publisher created that whole mix of the cover.
1: It's lovely, it's absolutely lovely. And the fact now I like it even more knowing that your photo, <laughs> right? That's just Thank beautiful. You. Well, I've had the pleasure of being able to read some of the books. I wonder, uh, you and I talked beforehand if you would read a passage. So let's have you do that, so that our listeners and, and viewers mm-hmm. can just hear a little bit of the book if they haven't yeah. yet to read it. Thanks, Lee. I, I thought I would just start
0: at the very beginning. Yeah. Excellent.
1: They'll be hooked That's like funny. me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: A late October dawn broke soft and low, slowly stretching its rose and purple fingers across the dark horizon as I strode west out of Pamplona. My breath misted in the chilly morning air. A primal sense of freedom pulsed through my limbs. The pack on my back held everything that I needed for several weeks of walking. No one else was on the trail. A blizzard in the Pyrenees had undone my plans to begin this journey on the French side of the mountains, in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, a popular starting point for the most historic pilgrim trail of the Camino de Santiago, the Way of St. James, known as the Camino Francés, the French Way. But here in the bowl of the pass on the other side, where the mountains give way to the hills and plains of Northern Spain, there's no snow, there was no snow, only arid, tawny colored wheat fields. The wheat had recently been harvested, leaving behind stubbled shafts that looked like a giant crew cut on the rolling hills. All I had to do was follow the sun's path throughout the day as it rose behind me in the west east, arched overhead by midday, then descended ahead of me in the west by late afternoon, marking my stopping place for the night. Each day was an unknown, but held the certainty that each one would end a little farther west. If I followed the sun in the signs I reasoned, I'd be fine. I moved like the ancient nomads, the way our species journeyed since the beginning, at the pace of feet. I heard the rhythmic sound of dry earth and pea-sized pebbles crunching underfoot. I breathed in a deep lungful of that cool, dewy air. I felt the weight of my pack, at first comforting, but gradually growing irritating. In truth, it held more than I needed, bearing extra weight from a research project requiring several weeks of backpacking across Spain, including notebooks, extra clothes for interviews and archival visits, heavy glossy pamphlets from tourist offices across Spain, and more socks than necessary, though according to one school of thought, you can never have too many socks. But the heaviest item in my pack was a tight and dense bundle of fear It had made me pack things I might need just in case. I vowed that night to shed some of its weight, send home the printed materials, give away extra clothing, and most importantly, released the fear bundle into the ether with no return address. Resolved, I shouldered the self-inflicted burden more lightly and felt another surge of electricity rush through me, the intoxicating liberation of the open
1: road. Beautiful, beautiful opening. I mean, it just pulled me right into the story, right? It's just so beautifully said.
0: Thank you Oh uh, anyone who's started that <laughs> trail knows that feeling so
1: <laughs> right. Thank and you. I wanted to kind of go back a little bit so you I believe if I have, have it correctly that you first heard about the Camino in school while you were in Madrid at University and then you take this train ride and you wrote about this energetic feeling that you had as you entered into Navarra and Basque country. So I wondered if you could kind of touch on what that felt like. I mean, you felt this on the train, not even on foot, but even by train. So could you describe what that was like?
0: Uh, It's still so visceral, I feel it, as you bring back that moment. It was 1986. I had studied for a semester at the University of Seville in the South. Uh And that was the first time I heard about the Camino de Santiago. It came up in a, a class, uh, the history of Spain, and one of my professors mentioned it. And as soon as he uttered Camino de Santiago, before I even knew what it was, I was just like, "What is that?" You know, it just called to me. And I think many of us, many of your listeners, know what I'm talking about, and or we'll find out soon. And um, but I, but then I, I that was you know some some weeks before I had a chance to take that that train ride up to visit Paris, uh, cousins in Paris and I just suddenly you know we, we we had gone north we had we had really entered into those the foothills of, of Nevada into Basque country and I just started feeling this energy and I just couldn't stop standing at the window and just looking out and going what is it but I felt like my whole destiny was bound up with that geography and it was a completely non-rational thought you know because I had never been there and and I really I hadn't realized at the time that that's where the Camino passed through until I started piecing it together and I was like oh you know these where all the roads intersect from France and then join and cross the Pyrenees and go across northern Spain and then I felt that same pull I mean that pull just kind of held from Navarra, Basque Country, and into Aquitaine. And it it started to lessen by the time the train passed Bordeaux, but it was just that whole territory. And that's like the the thick, concentrated territory of Camino routes and intersections. And also happens to be the migratory path of of geese, you know, going from Sweden to southwestern Spain on their, their route. So it was just all these crossroads that I later discovered, but I just vowed. I'm going to come back here and I'm going to find out what this is. And I could have never predicted that I would have turned this into what the place that I write about now and that I keep going back to and keep writing about and keep digging in. It's just endless, the layers that are there.
1: Yes. And so nine years later, you, after this experience, when you first hear about it at university, Mm -hmm. you, you then start one of your walks. Um, Yeah did that same energetic feeling happen to you? Because that, I mean, when I'm reading your words about starting there, that's what I'm imagining is you were feeling that same energetic yeah. feeling. How, if for folks that haven't walked, BB, I wonder if you could kind of talk about, well, first of all, I had no idea about the migration path. <laughs> when I read that in your book, I was like, Like I've heard the ley line, and we'll talk more about that in the Milky Way, but never the migration. So it was like, oh my goodness, here's one more layer of this energy. So I wonder, you know, some people would say to me, um, you know, what is it about this pool you have towards the Camino? You know, you could walk (laughs) in your own country and do the PCT, the Appalachian Trail, and and obviously. You absolutely
0: can. Yeah, they're sacred too.
1: Yeah, but I don't feel that pool. I don't feel this energy that you're talking about. So I wonder for folks that maybe haven't walked, or even as a reminder to those of us that have walked, can you talk a little bit about why, like the Milky Way, the migration, the ley line, kind of talk a little bit more about that to us. Sure. I mean, there's so much there. I won't be able to touch on
0: all of it because this is... (laughs) I mean the whole earth is this gorgeous glorious holy ancient geography right but this particular geography has a particular history with us and it you know it it may have been framed by by the ice ages that left a lot of the northern territories of Europe under ice so as we were nomadic hunters and gatherers, you know, back, you know, think back way back to not just when the first Homo sapiens arrived in, in, in Europe, but also the first Neanderthals. Like, let's, let's you know, go back 500,000 years. These, these were territories that were rich in food and water and good shelter. And um, they just have continued to be, even as, you know, the ice ages retreated and more and more land was available to inhabit these are just incredibly habitable and, and rich places. And so we have this long human history of wandering across this territory. And archeologists call that range from southern Southwestern France into Northern Spain, the Franco-Cantabrian region or zone, because there's such a high concentration of, of uh, early human remains and stone tools and caves, especially painted caves, but also earlier, before there were painted caves, just occupied caves, you know, with stone tools and human remains. The Camino right, right before you get to Burgos, also has the oldest site of human remains in all of Europe it, uh, at Atapuerca, mm-hmm. and uh, humanity has been there since 1.2 million years. So there is something really, really old there, and um, older than almost any other geography that has a human history and prehistory connected to it. So I think thats that's a part of it. And then and it's just because it continued to be this rich geography from prehistory through to the Iron Ages and the Roman occupation and then into the early medieval and medieval and then early modern era. It just continues to be this really, really rich and diverse and compelling landscape and people keep, kept you know, traversing it. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of rich, diverse cultures, but, but I think you know, the, the, the evolution of the arrival of the Camino and, and this, this, this sacred medieval Christian trail was layering on that precedent of already well-known holy sites.
1: Yes. And
0: and so I think that that is really a big part of its its original power and and draw. It's like how many other places claim that that call themselves pilgrim trails and how many pilgrim trails actually still exist? I mean, most other pilgrimage sites today, people now are flying to or taking a bus to or a train to. They're not walking to it. And that's another thing that makes the community of Santiago
1: stand out. As an yeah. experience on its own. Yeah, I totally agree. I um, mm-hmm. one of the things I really admired about this walk. Well, first off, I want to go back and say, if someone were to say to you, "Look, you know, I've got a month, month and a half to walk. Which route should I walk first? Um, because there are many routes into Santiago. Yes. And, right? um, would you lean towards walk the Frances first?
0: I would. I would first start by saying you should really poke around and look at all of them and see which one calls to you.
1: Ah, okay. And
0: then I would probably say, but. <laughs> but, <laughs> Yeah, the, there's something about the Camino Frances that is a bit more charged and concentrated than the other routes. And the other routes are magnificent, but right. because it's it's the most historic and the most walked route, both past and present, it has this, this dynamic of not just walking in, taking a long walk in nature and through amazing, amazing historical and cultural sites and, and communities, but it also has this social dimension with pilgrims, this kind of charged uh, community of pilgrims that I find more intense uh, and and um, engaged on the Camino Frances than any of the other routes, if anything, for just the fact that it is the most walked so you're going to meet more people but it's also the route that gets the most people from all over the world on it so it's the route where when they say you know 191 nations people from 191 nations last year walked or in 2019 walked the Camino they're mostly referring to the Camino Francaise because most people are coming to that route to walk it and so it's just like you know walking United Nations and you can have that on a smaller scale on the Camino del Norte or the uh, the Via Podiensis or the Via de la Plata or the Portuguese routes, but nothing quite at the intensity that <laughs> you're gonna have it on the Frances.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah. I was going to add that I really admired your slow walking, like not as in your pace necessarily, but how you took your time. And this very intentional way of walking. And um, I, I wondered if you could offer some advice because I find myself when I'm walking a pilgrimage, you know, that pilgrimage gives you a framework from A to B, you know, you, you sleep in one place, you know, tomorrow that you're more than likely going to this other certain place. And yeah. I find myself, even though I don't want to kind of hurrying, you know, like, oh, do I want to take the time to take that alternate route? Yeah. You know? um, and you had one point in the book and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it, but you kind of walk up maybe to like a plateau and you like spend hours in this place and you're just kind of out in the weather. And, and I'm like, I want to be more like Bibi the next time I walk. And so I'm wondering if you could offer some advice for those of us who maybe get caught up in that, not even rushing to get a bed, but just that pull to get to where we're going that night. How do you pull yourself away from that and trust that you can walk all day and get there later than maybe everyone else that's been walking that stage.
0: That it's been such a process. I'm so glad you asked because I the first time I did the full through trek of the Camino Frances, I did exactly that. I, 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 That's why I kind of said, I have to go back. I, I have to, because I didn't take enough time here and there. And now I know that you you really need to spend more time. I own you know, that magnificent round, church with the round cloister around it. And um, so, so I made that what I call a mistake. Now, some people, that's not a mistake. That's the way they do want to walk it. So I, I need to, you know, that it's but that's maybe the key is, you know, we keep saying, walk your own Camino, walk your own walk. That really is so key to this because for some people that is what they do want to do. And that's great. But vast majority of people I've heard say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't take the time or I felt so worried about the bed situation to find a bed that, that, that I, I, now I regret, I didn't, you know, slow down. And, and I think, well, that may be a part of also walk your own walk too um, and saying as much as I really want to keep up with this group of beautiful people I've met and I'm calling my Camino family, mm-hmm. it's actually starting to impose a different kind of pressure. One that's making me keep up instead of, slowing down where I'm called to slow down. And, and in that embedded in that, that idea of walk your own Camino is this sense of trust that, the, and the Camino keeps teaching us that we should really trust it, that it is going to meet all our needs. I mean, I, even in the worst situations where I was sure I was not going to get a bed, I got a bed
1: in, yeah. and in a way
0: that I couldn't even expect expected, you know, like I like Zubiri, I wound, wound up in Zubiri, and I had taken my my sweet time, just like, you know, I, I'm now known by the the, the the hospitaleros on the Camino Frances, if I call ahead and say, oh, I'm coming, and you know, and they're like, just so you know, get here by seven if you want dinner, and they're like, they know me, they know I'm stopping and photographing, I'm stopping and talking to locals, so now I'm like the extreme opposite, and so I'm, that's, the way I do it. But anyway, back to this sense of, of trusting, um, that, that, that really if you, it, it's a great opportunity to cultivate the practice of trusting that your needs will be met. And to every time the, the pressure of, oh, are there gonna be enough beds and I wanna sleep there, instead of letting it grip you and, and just say, well, I really feel like I need to take more time either to rest take my shoes and socks off let the socks dry take care of my feet or go and spend a half hour at castro mayor that iron age hilltop castro where i okay. stayed so long i got sunburned and then and then yeah. and then i got late to the you know where i was staying but but i didn't even know where i was going to sleep that night and and just saying let me just trust and part of trusting is asking for help. You know, it's a big part of it is like, I'm not going to worry about the bed thing. But if I find that I get where I'm going, and everything's full, ask the hospitalero or the hostel owner, do you know of anyone, you know, maybe a kilometer north or a kilometer south who has an inn that I can stay in? Or do you know of anyone in the village ahead? Can you call for me and say I'm coming and they have a bed? Those are really. That's a way of exercising, trusting the Camino too. Is asking for help and just knowing it will happen. I mean, and sometimes gloriously slow. Like when I was in Zubiri and I couldn't find anything, and I was. It was late, and I was starting to think I might actually have to call a cab, you know, and go to Pamplona and then come back and pick up from there. Yes. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And I mean, writers, he's not that big, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and then I was thinking, and I knew that the village up ahead was already booked full and it was like, I could just be walking all night. And, and so I finally went to the municipal albergue in Zubiri and I said, can you call a cab for me? <laughs> and I was just feeling so, oh, shamed, you know? And oh, nobody overheard this. Um, and well, the cab actually came and he said, I'm a, he, he came very quickly and, and I was amazed. And he said, oh, no, no, these five nurses from, I think they were from Barcelona have already called me and they've booked a place that's past the next village and uh, they have another place there. So the, the, I just piled into the cab with the nurses and the nurses were like insisting on paying for my cab too. And when we got to the inn, they made sure I had a, a room, a bed. and And I just thought, well, this is far better than, you know, sleeping, you know, in some dank floor in the municipal albergue in Zabiri, even though all those spaces had been taken up too, you know, and it was such a better ending to the day, um, but I had to, I had to release myself into that possibility. And, right.
1: and I guess what a great learning experience, because you spent all that time um, you know, taking in that space and then you rewarded, you know, you, you got a great place to stay and that must have built, yeah. that must be building your confidence that, oh, next time that comes up and I want to spend a little more time there, yeah. I can trust. So I, I hope. that And it is, <laughs> <laughs> it is a constant process.
0: It is a constant process because I have to keep reminding myself that look at what the Camino gave you, you know, it's amazing that you have to, you do
1: have to trust yeah. and ask for help and ask for help and take the help when it's offered.
0: <laughs> exactly, even if it's a, you know, a five kilometer cab ride you know, yeah, or a seven right. kilometer cab ride.
1: So the, the first time that I walked, I feel like um, I missed so much. I think I was uh, in a state of heartbreak and probably crying too much to really take note of the presence of Mary. And as I read, um, and I think I even embarrassed myself at one point on a call with you, being like, "Where was Mary?" You know, I feel like when I go to Italy, I see her everywhere. And you're like, "She's there everywhere. What's wrong? <laughs> Why did you not see her?" And it just read,
0: wasn't your Camino at that time.
1: <laughs> it was not. As I was reading this book, I was like, "Ah, you know, this next Camino I did just recently, Mary was like, yes. right?" And I was like, "There's what Bibi was saying, right?" And this is before I read your right? So this was after that call in between. Cool. And, you know, Mary was everywhere, you know, and I, of course, was using your guidebook, and I was seeing every Mary I could, you know, if it wasn't. <laughs> um, and so I, I wanted to talk about, you know, your new book really brings out the essence of the divine feminine. And um, you talk about so many things. And you, you mentioned earlier, well, I'll, I'll say this quote, of part of your book, you say, while signs for St. James were evident in, in, in the open, those for the goose goddess were hidden, even in plain sight. So you talk about that. You talk about the old goddess still being present um, in the new church. You talk about the migration of symbols and how um, new churches were built over former sacred spaces. So there's so much here we could talk about. So. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to start, but to say that you really do bring out the essence of Mary in this book and the divine feminine. So you touched on earlier about um, Mother Goose, and I have never made that connection until I read yeah. that. So I guess let's start there. And then maybe you can just talk for a few minutes about, you know, what stands sure. out to you about the presence of Mary and, and maybe your favorite statue and your favorite story.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things about the presence of Mary on the Camino and the roots in 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 southern France as well across France and 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 in in Spain is that all these churches, you know, there's Santa Maria the the Eunate, Santa Maria de uh, L- 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 Estea, Santa Maria de Levoreiro, all these you know churches devoted to to Mary are, if you look at their origin stories, you know, there's, there's something rooted in nature, a, a, a force of nature, a holy experience in nature. Uh, whether, you know, the, that image of Mary was discovered in a cave like Nahira, and now that cave is, is a part of the church that they built in her honor. Um, or the, the Mary in, of Lepuy in, in Estea, she was found by shepherds on the hilltop so this was, you know, a cave, a hilltop. The Mary found um, in, in the Ebro River near Logroño is now in the, the Iglesia del Palacio. Um, and, you know, so she, there's a river, Mary, there's a hilltop Mary, there's a cave Mary. There's in Le Borero, Mary uh, miraculously appears in a spring. And um, up until the 60s, villagers still said they could still see her image in, in, sitting by the spring combing her hair. And that was when I started that story, especially I thought, okay, wait a minute. That's an old folk story from the North of Spain about these nature spirits who were now called fairies, but were once called goddesses. Mm -hmm. And almost all of them, one of their signature traits is they're sitting by a cave opening or a running stream or a stream source combing their hair. And to Mm -hmm. the modern mind, that sounds like oh, that's, you know, she's combing her hair, you like she's really concerned about her looks. It's like, (laughs) uh, that is, that's modern surface thinking. Um, What the comb is such an ancient symbol. It's one of the earliest uh, tools that we made uh, Mm. that is not just for combing our hair, but it's for, 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 for the weaving process, the comb in weaving and the, you know, to create cloth is a very powerful thing. And if you think of all our ancient mythology, there's this magical quality to the person who knows how to weave, and there's a magical quality to certain cloth. And when you really think about it, the ability to move from just wearing animal hides to weaving cloth was a game changer for humanity as far as warmth, comfort, but then having luxury goods to trade. So weavers are huge as as far as possessing, you know, superpowers, you know, (laughs) or, or magical qualities. And so that comb in her hand of what was once an old goddess of Europe was not signifying vanity. It was signifying the power to weave and make the world and the power to draw this comb her presence her awareness through the her creation it's really a mother earth story of the mother goddess making sure all is well and in order so it's like she's she's overseeing she's shepherding her creation by combing it keeping it in order so that's a very powerful old story it's really prevalent in in northern spain it's as as far as survivals but it shows up in pockets in other parts of europe And that's when I sort of said, okay, this Leborero Mary, that stream that they, that water source they found her, those are villagers remembering an older divinity that now they're calling Mary. And and then they built a church in her honor. And then they put her image in that church. And as the story goes, she kept going to the stream at night (laughs) and and villagers were like, how do we keep her in the church? And it was a stonemason who said, why don't we engrave her image on the tympanum at the entrance of the church to let everyone know this is who we're honoring here. And when they did that, her image that they found in the the source, stayed on the altar. And that's another powerful thing of saying, the old consciousness, the old divinity is still being honored here, even though we're now calling it a Christian church. And it was a way of finding a harmony between the old sacred system and the new sacred system and saying, we're still gonna honor this divinity because we still need her for the health of the earth. And mm. so all these stories, um, all these chapels have these kinds of stories in Ponferrada, the La Encina, the church of La Encina, the Basilica. Well, the Templar Knight found that image of Mary in the trunk of an oak tree, you know, and it's just like, so another nature discovery and it just kept happening and all these Marys are associated with all these natural sites that were holy before the church was built there, but remained holy and it created a, a continuity and also a way of the new faith to gain legitimacy yes. with the, the, the native and local populations.
1: That and is so fascinating. Like, it, and It really this- is. It just can't be by accident of, of how yeah. they're found. It, it can't be. It can't be. It,
0: it It's a way of the old to continue to survive and exist. And that's what Mother Goose is. You know, she's, because so many of these divinities are associated with water. They have hybrid animal features, the most prominent being duck and goose feet. So, which is why I sometimes said, I just wanted to lift the skirt on the Mary and see if she has webbed feet. Because there are some images of Mary's with webbed feet in France um, that, have since been destroyed, unfortunately, um, but, and it's just, it's amazing um, how, how prevalent and it is. It's, so it's almost amazing that it, it really is hiding in, pl- hiding in plain sight. And once you start realizing that, okay, mother goose is an evolution out of this, a way of the old matriarchy to survive, with the growing more and more dominant patriarchy that is really stamping out any female power, right? whether in the, the profane or in the sacred. And so we get Mother Goose, who seems very um, innocuous. She's not going to threaten anyone. You're going to oh. sit at her feet and listen to her stories. And what are her stories but earth wisdom tales? And it's mm-hmm. a way of reminding us We have severed ourselves from the earth and now we're all upward thinking, you know, looking up there like that's where our salvation is when we'll save ourselves if we reconnect to the earth and take care of it. And that's maybe the root, the urgency of this, not just my book, but why this keeps coming up. I think there's something about, you know, we've lost our balance and everything that is screaming for balance is Really getting more vocal, including these symbols and pilgrims walking this path looking for goose signs. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's the real message that it's the earth saying we need to come back to rooting ourselves in the earth. This is holy and this is sustaining and this is our salvation. Yeah, and we need
1: to take better care of her. We sure do. And, and you talk about the balance too of masculine and femininity, you know, they're always finding that balance. and. Yeah. When I was reading through this book, that you, your newest book, and um, you you tell some stories about Eunati and also um, Cepoco, um and Tor del Rio, I think, right? And so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like you're thinking right. of the caretaker in <laughs> Tortoise. Okay. Mail. Whoa. <laughs>
1: Whoa. Right. Um, I mean, I think going to those two sacred sites, those two churches, the energy is a Camino within a Camino. Um, and when you're describing that walk around the outside of Ayunate, and then when you go inside and you feel that energy, I felt a palpable energy in there that I could not even explain. Wow. Um, so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience in there, and then I want to go to the caretaker, <laughs> and what happens there. But um, yeah, you know, what is your experience in Egonante? Like the oh, it's just yeah. sad. There. there
0: really is. I mean, the first time I went, for one thing, you know, now it's a detour. It used to it used to be on the medieval trail, and I I really mm. urge anyone. Do not skip that detour. It adds two and a half kilometers to your walk. You're going to be so glad you did that because um, many people, including in, you know, many of the tourist offices in Nevada, really believe, you know, not just pilgrims, but people who are in the in the profession of drawing people to the region. They, they, they say this may be the highlight of the whole Camino. And it's just like, and I have to say, yes, it is yeah. definitely in the top three yeah yeah (laughs) um so so the first time i i went there you know and i was like do not miss the detour go you know and um i just knew there was something special about it because it's enigmatic it is a a octagonal church surrounded by 33 arches um, that are called a cloister and they 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 take on the appearance of a cloister but most cloisters are set off to the Side one side of a church, and they're either they're usually square, and they, and they have a garden in the center. So here, instead of a garden in the center, and instead of being square, the cloister arches are around the church. And I didn't think about this until many many years later, and several other visits to Eunate, That uh, you know, the church itself is the garden, and. <laughs> Mary's medieval name. One of her medieval names was Hortus Conclusus or Hortus Conclusus. I don't know how my Latin is pronounced well, but but it means the the, the interior garden, the hidden garden, mm-hmm. you know that place where that is unblemished. And so, and there was just so much more because so many people say, why thirty three arches when the Basque name Eunate means one hundred doors? So I started that's the other thing that kind of I was really curious about my first visit there because I was like, all right, 33, I know (laughs) know, this is the number of beads on a prayer beads uh, for Sufis who are meditating on the 99 names of God. They pray three, three circuits around the prayer beads. And then there's a, a central bead that's at the, at the joint where there's then hanging some, you know, medallions or talisman. And that is like the hundredth door. That's when, after you've meditated on the 99 names of God, you are ready to enter through the doorway and seek union or, or understanding or communion with the divine. But you have mm-hmm. to first meditate on all the divine's qualities and, and, really meditate on them, embody them. So I thought this might be something like that because mm-hmm. the stonemasons who built these medieval churches were coming from all kinds of backgrounds. And we know that, that, that Jews, Christians, and Muslims were, were living in, in a lot of co-creative uh, convivencia, as they call it in Spain, in, in not just in the South, but even in the North. Uh, even though there was this, this uh, polemic between North and South and Christian and Islamic halves of, of Iberia, it was still far more mingled and far more collaborative creative acts going on than war and, 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 and fighting. So um, Eunate probably is taking not only Islamic uh, mystical ideas and Christian mystical ideas, but also Jewish mystical ideas because there's also the eight sided, the octagon, there's the 33 arches. There's, if you go into into uh, Hebrew gematria or gematria, I'm again, not sure about the correct pronunciation, which is assigning numbers to letters then the name of uh, Jesus in, in Hebrew, Yeshua, comes out to be 888. Eight, eight. You know, so it's three eights. So again, you have three suggesting three circuits, maybe. You have three eights. Eight is important. It's the doors of... Uh, it represents resurrection in Christianity. It represents um, the doorways to to heaven in in Islam. Uh, it, so it's just everything was suggesting go around this thing three times.
1: <laughs> yeah. And
0: walk in that hundredth door, which is the the door facing you. Then you write lines with the nave, and there's Mary. Of course, it's right. conclusive. You know, and I can't imagine any greater union with the divine than that hundredth door. <laughs> Of course, I was puzzling all this out, but my experience of the first visit to Eunate was just, there's something very cool going on here. I don't know what it means yet, but I just really want to sit and experience it. And I could feel its pull and I could feel it's in a really gorgeous landscape of rolling hills and it's just tucked in this perfect nook and there's sheep grazing around on the hills, hillsides Beautiful. around. It's just, you, you knew there's a really a strong feng shui there. Yeah. But it just so happened my very first visit to Eunate as I was just so excited about getting there and getting there and getting there that at the very last minute, I ran into another pilgrim who I had been running into um, since Pamplona. And she was really chatty. when <laughs> she was and talking and talking. So, and I had not yet learned that you need to say, I need to have, I need to not talk right now. You know, I was still learning that whole pilgrim etiquette thing. And yeah. so when I finally got to sit inside the chapel, um, I didn't, I could feel something, but I was also Uh, entertaining somebody who was also talking and talking and talking and at one point I finally said could we just take a moment and and just see what's listen to the church and 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 she did give me a moment and in that moment I felt just this rush of glorious beautiful pure refreshing energy and I vowed that I would go back there you know go back there of course in hindsight I vowed that I would go back I I wanted to go back there but Um, in hindsight, I vowed that I would go back there and lay down boundaries if I needed to, (laughs) but I've never had to since, you know, it's like, there's something about Eonate for most people that they just go quiet. Even the the most talkative people, they just go quiet because
1: it's so beautiful to just be there. Yeah. It was one of my most glorious, the most glorious day uh, of my last walk and, I, I actually walked with another pilgrim to it and we arrived about two hours early before it was open before the caretaker came and I have to say the stamp from that caretaker yeah was one of the most intense spiritual moments and, and she really didn't do anything that differently it was the energy around the way she stamped and the way she handed back our credential and um Yeah, uh, we did yoga in the yard before. (laughs) That's so cool. By the time the church opened, we were in such a great space and and, you have the energy. But I want to cut into like next you go Mm. eventually, um, what, more? I think another day (laughs) or so, you end up at the masculine end of another church built around the same kind of thing. And this caretaker. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sit down and listen and then makes you sing. By yourself. She was an
0: army sergeant. Oh, my God. (laughs) And she was, (laughs) (laughs) you know, she, um, to to go back to that idea of the caretakers and that powerful moment of getting your stamp at Eunate, that's the thing about locals that also made me really pay attention that this this goose quest, this seeking these deeper layers is very real because the locals keep talking about energy and the potency of these places and the energy of these places. I mean, in Obanos, an elderly man sitting at his front stoop as I was walking in reverse to go back to Eunate the last time I was there, most recently, um, he said, oh, that's really good. It's, it has very special energy. And I just kept hearing locals talk about energy and I thought, okay, I need to take this seriously, not feel so timid about also saying I'm feeling energy. So anyway, but the real initiatory moment was going into the chapel of in Torres del Rio, the, the Holy Sepulchre church, which is octagonal, yes. much taller too in its octagon and it's almost just a freestanding octagon. And um, the caretaker was there. she had just opened the doors that morning and she was really really upset with with most of the pilgrims because they were just rushing past and they Mm -hmm. might have ducked their head in and taking a quick picture and it was very clear that you have to give a euro as a donation to come in here and visit the church including to take a photo so by the time i stepped in you know i i already had my euro out just so she wouldn't bark at me you know And and i'd like a stamp and i'd like to visit the church and she said you sit, you know, I have things to tell you. And I was like, oh, okay, I made a vow. I'm gonna listen, you know, so I'm, and 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 I also wanted to hear what she had to say, but she was very intimidating. Um, um, I hope there's a saw outside. Somebody is, I hope it's not interfering in the sound. I
1: can't hear it, no.
0: Okay, good, sorry about that. Uh, my no clip got <laughs> this out, but um, so I sat down And she started, first of all, she started putting me to work. She's like, oh, you, you can translate for all the English speakers and, you know, tell them, you know, this is, they need to pay a euro. They need to take time. This is a very special church. Here's its history. And then she started saying, and um, you, you need to know this is a very powerful place. And then she just started telling me, I mean, she was giving me numbers of how many hundreds of circuits of energy were running up each of the eight pillars that. Formed the octagon and how they joined at the center and concentrated all that energy and shot up into the sky like you know a magnificent stupa you know connecting heaven and earth and and I just and then she just really started ragging on the local politicians who she's like they don't even they 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 think I'm talking you know bonkers stuff but but what do you expect from a politician they don't they don't feel anything (laughs) you know and I was just um, but it but then she started saying you know, this is a power vortex here and Eonate is a power vortex, but Eunate is feminine and Torres del Rio is masculine. Mm-hmm. And they're like a yin-yang. And actually, if you, you actually put a yin-yang uh, over a map with, you know, the masculine end dot, you know, on, on, Eonate, on Torres del Rio and the feminine one on Eonate, you'll find that where they meet in the middle is Estella. And um, that, that's where I started realizing you have almost like this kind of a masculine, feminine circuit going and EUNATE is the place of balance where the male and the female meet. Um, and it was just like all this sort of stuff was just going on as, as, as she was telling me. And she was saying, yeah, there's this whole circuit. It's a closed circuit flowing through the earth. And they, it, it, you know, EUNATE Torres DEL RIO with ESTEYA, boom. There in the middle. Um, that was uh, that was one of of many, but probably one of the most powerful times. A local really wanted me to know. This this road is full of energy, and these places are are places of high energy, uh, and the locals know it, and they're the caretakers of it. It's caretaker in a bigger sense. And just you know, manning the door and
1: stamping <laughs> pilgrim I credentials. Just some energy. I feel like some divine intervention there. That you know, she doesn't know what you're doing. She didn't know the special quest you were exactly. on. Exactly.
0: I didn't what ask was her. That,
1: right. Yeah. She just said, "I have things to tell you." And
0: sit. And then she and and she, but she was also talking about the importance of balance. That that um, you know, the feminine divine is important. The masculine divine is important they should be in balance. And and she even added that as the caretaker of Torres del Rio, she can't, she said, I tried to visit Eunate, but when I tried to enter, I just felt this electric, like she knew she was going to be shocked, like mm-hmm. and get an electric shock. So she said, I realized that I am, I am the, the guardian of this shrine and I need to maintain its energy, but that we need to balance. We need a balance. And... And then she, she had me sing, you know, <laughs> she's like, you really need to experience the power of this place. And I'm like, I'm not a singer. And She's like, sing. <laughs> There's there no saying no to this woman. And what happened when I, I started singing was I had a beautiful voice. I mean, I don't know where it came from, but something, there was an energy that just came through my feet and up through my body and just expanded my diaphragm. And I was singing in a way I'd never experienced before. So I suggest everyone go pay your Euro, take your time, let the caretaker have her way with you because she's very appropriate in the end and she has a lot to share and sing, like go with you know, some sacred song and listen to your voice, go from mortal to angelic, it is really something.
1: Oh, well, that's beautiful, baby. And mm-hmm. and I'm gonna to say too, like pay that you are because you know so many churches, uh, the towns can't keep them open, and yes. so we're so fortunate when a place of that sacredness has someone there and can educate us about the space. And yes, we need to keep these things going, yeah. you know, or they're just gonna be locked yeah. and only be able to yeah. read about. And, of course, I love reading about them, but there's something about being able to step into them and and experience it as well. As they were intended, yeah. Oh, baby, there's so many things I still want to touch on. We only have a (laughs) few more minutes left. Um, I wanted to mention um, Miles and some things that you mentioned about Miles. (laughs) And I was like, wow, that is a benchmark of a relationship, I think. Uh, Something that I would aspire for in my next relationship. And what I'm talking about is when um, you're at a party and you mention that someone asks him, uh, you know, you okay with her taking off all the time and going writing these guidebooks and doing these pilgrimages. And he says, better stories find her when she travels alone. And I just thought that was so beautifully supportive. And just recently I was on a tour uh, here in Santiago and met two pilgrims, two guys. And I said, oh, you plan on your next one. And they said, this was just last week. And they said, no, no, our wives aren't going to be okay with us being gone. And my mind went immediately to what Miles Mm -hmm. said to you. And so I just want to put a shout out to that and and say how beautiful it is. And you talk about how each time it was harder to to go, but you knew that you had this thing, but you had his full support. So he must have been so proud of you as you published this seventh book
0: thank you you know he is and he's very much a part of it he's always believed in me and uh, you know we're both very similar you know, we met in graduate school and we both were already you know on this path of going abroad to do field work and research and writing and you know his he had different territories that he would go to and i would go to and sometimes we shared them like he really he loves france and spain as well and he's been on some of these treks with me and in some ways early on really encouraged me to to go off on my own for my own self-empowerment you know and and understood how important that was and then when I turned it into my work it became even more important to him like he he really is surprised but this is how you know you're still living in a patriarchy when um, many people will ask your husband if he's okay with you going away but no one asks you if you're okay with him going away (laughs) (laughs) Or many people would say, well, is he, is, is Miles going to join you? And, and, uh, but nobody ever asked me if I'm going to join him on his research work travel. Mm
1: -hmm. So,
0: so it's like, it's really, it is phenomenal and, and uh, an incredible blessing to, to have such a partner because I know it, it is every partnership is seeking to strike a balance between the, 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 we and the me and you. Mm-hmm. aspects of it and it's really essential that all three pieces are are healthy it's it's like it's like e en Torres del Río. it has to be a balance keep the the, the circuits flowing and but Absolutely. all three are essential
1: yeah and i didn't think maybe you are such a, an inspiration i think to um the women out there that are traveling solo and i mean you are so independent mm. and beautiful it's beautiful great ind- to hear yeah, but you're still in this beautiful interdependent relationship. And I think that also is a role model uh, for we women to to observe and to learn to do because so many of us put aside you know, as caretakers or whatever and are afraid to go away from the family and pursue our own pursuits. And and you are showing a beautiful balance of that. So thank you for doing that for our Camino community because I think that's very important um, to role model. Um, I wanted to bring up to probably I guess one of our last questions. I don't want it to be. Uh, <laughs> me okay, neither. <laughs> so, yeah, yoga teacher, me was all over uh, uh, when you did your first walk. You're talking about uh, I think your friend's name is Rosalind, and she talks about uh, you guys are doing that first pilgrimage. And she's doing this chakra pilgrimage, right? And then a little bit later, so you talk about it a little bit later in the book, and you talk about uh, and I've never heard anyone else talk about the kundalini energy. Of the possibility of that running through the Camino. And it just really made my, yeah. piqued my interest and also made me think about my next Camino. In time. <laughs> so I just wanted to hit on that and give you a chance to kind of talk about that and uh, what that was like, because I think you mentioned that you were walking with her on her, uh, I think it was the second chakra <laughs> when you yes. did that walk with her, which, and then yes. she said something to you like, Oh, you know, you're gonna something's <laughs> gonna happen to you here. So maybe talk a little bit about it. Yeah,
0: she's she's a she's a spiritual teacher. So she of course was going to <laughs> point out where I was resisting, you know, which I, I I trusted her to do that, though I knew I was resisting. Um but yeah, Sarah, her name is Sarah, and she was actually her intention, I think still is, um, but it's a big project to walk all the way to Rosalind in scotland oh, she's walking to Roslin,
1: but it's sarah okay sorry. right
0: which which would be in in her reckoning the seventh arriving at the seventh chakra and she she saw the camino in reverse that you start in finisteria and you walk in reverse to the pyrenees and then up through france and then up through england and then into scotland and in she was she knew i wanted to go back and walk a, a route of the camino and most likely one of the french routes and that I was starting to really get into this whole symbolism of the goose and the duck and trying to trace it in the churches and in the different regions. So she said, you know, um, I'm going to be walking this reverse route. I've already done the first chakra, as she said, you know, from Finisterre to saint jean Pierre de port Now I want to do the second chakra, which was to, to go on the Arles route um, to from saint jean Pierre de port to Toulouse, and actually, it wasn't the Arles route. The Arles route starts in Oloron Sainte Marie, a little bit further east of Saint Jean Pied de Port. It's another mountain pass town, mm-hmm. um, but there's a bridging route, the, the Piedmont route, that that will connect Saint Jean Pied de Port to Oloron, and then from there to Toulouse. If you're walking it in reverse, which was what we were going to do, and she wanted to do it, and I was like, you know, forward, backward, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to look for the goose and the duck, you know. Right. <laughs> so um but but you know it was it was really really a, a great education for me to think about her what she was saying about what do you mean by the second chakra and then i was saying oh the second chakra is about relationships and i'm your your, your picked partner for this trek so ooh, this is going to be intense you know probably yeah. if if there's anything really going on here which there was and um because as I said, she's a spiritual teacher. And so I just, anything, she was like a mirror for me, anything that came up, she saw it and we had, we discussed it, you know, it was like, wow, this is really a second chakra journey. <laughs> but, but that really woke me up to this idea that, that places, and I heard this in the Dordon too, locals speak about places with energy that will trigger certain chakra points. So I was Mm-hmm. Already kind of getting familiar with this idea in, in the local lore that um, a particular, like there's one church in the Dordogne, it's a really tiny chapel that everyone just says, you go there and it'll open your throat chakra. And, and I was like, so, and you do, you feel like this sudden expansion mm-hmm. and opening and you don't feel like going <coughs> anymore, you know. And I was just like, well, that's really interesting. So when I then got back to walking the Camino Frances and I was walking in the direction that everyone's familiar with, going west, I, I was thinking about this, this idea of certain places opening certain chakras or, you know, really triggering that energy and, and expanding it. And then it was when I was in um, Azqueta after Estella, the, the hospitalera and the albergue there, She has all these paintings on her albergue wall of very um, Australian Aboriginal style serpents and and just exquisite. And I just said, what is going on there? And she said, oh, the Camino is a Kundalini. It's this big serpent. And as you walk it, it awakens your energy centers. And that's just, again, a local talking about energy on an incredible scale. And it's very real. You can experience it. You know, it's very interesting to go into a church and just be quiet and breathe and surround yourself with light. You know, do all those good meditation techniques, and then see what you experience. What what comes? Do you feel something waking up inside you? Do you receive a vision, an impression? Um, is these are these are places that intentionally by humans, pre-Christian and Christian, were. Layered on in that particular spot because people felt there was something powerful going on there.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there has to be. Look at the pool for us to walk in the first place, how we all find out how wrong to walk. It may take a few years, but we end up walking and then we want to walk again and again and again. Yeah. Um, I want to end this. You, um, one of my favorite um, Mm -hmm. quotes about the Camino, um, and we've all heard this one that. you know, the Camino uh, doesn't end when we get to Santiago, it just begins, and yeah. you had another one that added to it, and now I need to find it, and it's not in my right note, hi, <laughs> ah, here it is, um, so you added to it, and you, and now this will be my new favorite, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it ends at the beginning, and begins at the end, it is all about the journey in between, it turns out and now it starts anew. And I just, I just found that so beautiful. Bibi, this book is a gift for all that have walked the Camino and for all that want to walk it. And I, I just want to say thank you on behalf of the entire community for <laughs> writing this beautiful book. And I'm hoping you have an eighth book. Maybe a book. <laughs> I don't know. Do you? I do. You I do.
0: It's. I have a couple of books in the works that they're both still too early to, to talk too much about. But one is another travel narrative, uh, and that of course is going to be back in southwestern France and northern Spain. And the other is a work of magical realism, a novel that it's a first attempt at, at fiction. So. That one I'm really not going to talk about until it really gels, but I'm having a good time with both
1: of them and they both definitely involve the Camino. Uh, You have a travel narrative down, so there's no doubt in my mind that you can write any style that you want. Um, (laughs) I just want to remind everyone that um, has been watching and listening that um, if you want to have the uh, wonderful opportunity of spending time with BB and working on, the writing skills and all the things that she's be going she's going to be doing here at this retreat. Um, that is June 5th through June 12th. I will have the link in the show notes. We will also have a link for her newest book and uh, all of her other wonderful books. So, Bibi if you'll stay on, we'll say goodbye. But I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of the Camino community, the Camino Cafe podcast. We're just thrilled to, to know you and be able to spend time with you and Thank you for educating us and entertaining us and just making us uh, better pilgrims and enhancing our pilgrim experience. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Lee. And thank
0: you to the Camino Pilgrim community and the Camino Cafe. It's
1: my pleasure. It's
0: really an honor to be here. All right. Well, Bon (laughs) Camino,
1: everyone. See you next time. Free as a bird now With my
0: feathered wings I am free,
1: free as a bird now, with my feathers.